Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. Michael and I will share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic Rachma. Michael is the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information on Michael or myself or forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, your co-hosts, the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. There we go. Let's hit the unmute button. Welcome to the show. All right. This is Miracle Monday, and it's May the 16th, 2016. Our call-in number is 646-200-4169. Press 1, and that puts you in queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and your questions, because that makes this your show. Welcome, Michael. Thank you, dear heart. And welcome, everyone. We're honored that you're here to join us for another step into, another level of the inquiry into the process of forgiveness, into the functioning of our own minds and understanding how this whole process of life works. We're looking to move in that direction. And we picked out a, a theme song that I'd like to play for you for our Miracle Mondays. And uh, actually, Jean's going to play for you. And it comes from Omen and Shante from a, a really wonderful CD that they have on A Course in Miracles. So let's go listen to that.
So once again, welcome. We're honored that you're here, and we're going to do a little bit of a, a conversation from A Course in Miracles. We're going to tie it in with some other levels of understanding, some other ideas that come from seemingly, in some cases, some of the strangest sources. For instance, and the kind of the theme I want to go with today is similar to last week's in the world you see. You'll notice with the Course in Miracles how often it says the world you see, the world you see, the world you see, the world you see. One of the ideas that it puts forward is the world you see is but a judgment on yourself. And it distinguishes between sight and vision. And the, the thing that, that makes the difference is where do you turn for advice on how to see the world? There are two directions you can go. In the ancient teachings, they spoke of the mind of Christ. Obviously, that was a different mind than the mind that the average person lived in. And so what is the difference between that mind, and it sounds like a religious idea, the way our world promotes it, and most people have been subtly taught to reject religion, so the whole thing gets thrown out, and the, you know, the baby goes with the bathwater. There's such powerful and valuable teaching, especially in the first century Aramaic understanding of these words and terms, and the instructions on how to literally shift out of the world that you see and that you experience in your physiology into something different. Most people turn to what's stored in their minds, in their memory banks from the past in order to generate the world that they see. Now, if you go to the CIA website, and I kind of tongue-in-cheek like to say the CIA is now teaching A Course in Miracles. They've got a, uh, a book on their website, which you can download for free, where they've done a lot of experiments on how to refine and get the best out of perception that you possibly can. And literally, quote, word for word, here's what they say. The mind does not record reality. It generates it. Now, obviously, if your mind generates reality for you, then where you go for the source material for that reality is pretty important. If my mind generates my reality for me, obviously, where I go to gather my source information is pretty important. If we have an event, you know, let's imagine that uh, we get somebody to come into the room. We've got a large hall. We've got 200 people there. And we get somebody who comes in and stands up in the front of the room and does something that everybody in the room agrees is absolutely terrible, disgusting, horrible, all the words you could possibly put on it. And you will notice that the world that each person sees is different because one person will see a world that determines that they should shriek and rage and run away. Somebody else sees a world that determines that they should tremble. Someone else sees a world that determines they should break out in laughter. Someone else sees a world that determines that they should throw a fist. Everybody has their own reality generated by the energetic dynamics that they turn to to literally generate the world they see. 
the thesis of the course and the thesis of this whole body of work is that you always have the mind of your true being available to you. The world tends to addict us to or try to get us addicted to seeing the way it sees. And when we become hypnotized into seeing the way the world sees, then we will turn to the world's thought system, we will turn to the world's beliefs in order to determine what our mind generates in any given circumstance. And we have a choice about that. It appears once we buy a particular thought system, and that's why the Course says that you know, most people are really, really afraid of having their thought system threatened. You may hear some things that are going to threaten your thought system today. I hope you do, and I hope you're willing. <laughs> but recognize that you can always select the root of what generates the world of pictures that appear in your mind. An event occurs, and every mind generates a different reality out of that particular actuality. Now, you all say, or, or people will say, well, but gee, everybody saw the man wearing the blue shirt. Well, the color line guy didn't. Why didn't his mind generate a reality of a man in a blue shirt? Because that energy was not in his structure to produce that particular perceptual reality. So perception is a very flexible and malleable thing. And depending what you turn to for advice, you get to see a different world if you turn to a different mind. The mind that was spoken of is the mind of Christ. In Aramaic, that word means direct channel to love, to the mind of the Creator. So each of us has the ability to turn to that mind. And, you know, if you hold a newborn child, you're in the presence of someone who lives in that mind and that mind only. That's why if you ask someone, have you ever held a newborn? And I don't care if it's the gruffest guy on the planet. You just watch. They smile. They soften. They go to something different than where they usually live. So we always have that mind available to us. And then there's the mind of experience and memory. There's the mind of perception. And we can turn to the storage system called a body-mind unit. All that your body is is a device that stores information. And it stores it generation upon generation upon generation. And when something is stored in the device called a body-mind unit, and if you ask the modern physicist what that device is made of, they'll tell you its base element is carbon, recognizing that carbon stores memory, stores information. And if you look at a carbon atom, you'll see that it's made of six electrons, six protons, six neutrons. That's why the name of the Antichrist was 666, or the number was 666. We can be in that mind of being. The newborn comes in, and they're in a room with the person who does that horrible behavior. You hold the child up. They're looking right at the person who does the behavior, and what does the child experience? 
only the presence of its own being. It has not yet been enculturated or trained into buying our world's cultural views and the realities that the average mind generates. And sadly, a lot of them based in pain and horror and terror and trauma, and in many cases based in valid experience of pain and terror and horror and trauma. But the thing to understand here is that, and you know, if you're in the middle of, you know, cancel the thought, somebody's got a gun to your head, that's one thing. And, and even then, you can shift the energy of that situation when you can turn to that mind of being. I could share with you story after story after story of people who've shared with me how they were able to turn a situation that was literally extremely physically threatening around into something different. But we have stored within our carbon-based memory system the thoughts of all the generations, and this carbon-based memory system, this body-mind unit, has this unique ability literally to take thoughts and turn them into pictures, to digital to analog converter. You know, David Bohm, the physicist, says that what you think will turn into a show in your mind, literally. And so if I turn to terrors and traumas of past generations, then here in a space of safety, I can experience terror and trauma, and I can make up pictures of someone present in this moment and think they are the cause of my terror and trauma. If you've ever had anybody accuse you of saying something you absolutely never said, of doing something you absolutely never did, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. And you'll notice that people who do that kind of accusation are always in some form of hostility or fear because that's what hostility or fear does. It locks us into perception based in mind energy from the past from carbon-based memory. And the past locks us out of a present moment experience. If we can dissolve that past, then the dissolution of that past leaves us free of that past and leaves us in a space where we don't need to keep recreating the same things over and over and over again. We can literally free ourselves from those things of the past. However, if we don't know how to do that, if we don't know how to remove content from carbon-based memory, and in the first century Aramaic, as well as in the contents of the context, pardon me, of A Course in Miracles, forgiveness is the tool for doing that. You'll notice that we live in a culture that's taught us that forgiveness is how I let you off the hook for what's happening inside of me. That's not forgiveness at all. That's pardoning. But if my mind is generating something based in some form of hostility or fear, I know I'm stuck in an energy from the past, and I can make that energy from the past into a world of pictures, and then I can live as though those pictures are true in the moment, and I will tend to behave in a way that will recreate the past. So when something out of carbon-based memory, terror or trauma, is triggered into action or activity, I will tend to use it and massage that data into a picture world that justifies me being terrified of the person I'm standing in front of because, after all, look what I'm feeling. It must be caused by this picture that I see in my mind. 
No, actually, it's the reverse. The picture in your mind is caused by the fact that you turned to the terror and trauma of the generations to play out this circumstance or situation. If you have the tool of forgiveness, what will happen is that the content from the past and it doesn't matter how many generations old it is. You remember that story of the Jews wandering in the desert for 40 years. Now, you listen to that story, and you've got to start to think to yourself, how does a bright group of people like this get lost in a 30-square-mile area for 40 years? That doesn't make any sense. What were they saying about that getting lost in the desert? The desert is a code word for the unconscious. Most people live stuck in what the generations have taught themselves and the resultant picture world that they see that they overlay on the actuality of what's happening in the moment. The whole idea of the course, the whole idea of this work, why is this happening to me again, is that at any moment that I choose to, I can collapse the world of false perception. I can collapse what comes from the past and prompts me to behave like the past did and recreate the past, and I can turn instead to the mind of love. The mind of love, in the, exactly the same circumstance, will generate for me a totally different world of pictures, a totally different perception. And just kind of a short-form view, before we actually get into uh, the lesson I want to talk about, a short-form view of forgiveness is that all of the pictures that we see, all perception is driven by goals, to get to the core of, to just throw in the core understanding of forgiveness. Whatever you see, whatever behavior you're inclined to take, that's driven by goals. If you don't like what you're seeing, if you don't like what you're feeling, what you're feeling is driven into activity by the goals that you hold. You can short-circuit it and stop it in a fraction of a second by shebagging the goal. In Aramaic, the word shebag is the word for, that's been translated as forgive, but it means to cancel. So at any moment when I'm in some form of pain or trauma. Now, unless I really like my pain and trauma and I get a lot of accolades for it, I get a lot of attention for it, so I'm going to hang out in this trauma. The instant that trauma starts to come forward, I can locate the goal that drives that trauma into action and activity within me. I can collapse it by canceling the goal. And when I cancel the goal, I get to access the underlying dynamic, whether the underlying dynamic is something that happened to me two days ago, two years ago, 20 years ago, or when I was two, or two generations ago, or 200 generations ago. It's all energy. It doesn't distinguish from time. If it's driven into activity by the presence of a goal or the activity of an event that resonates it, then it's going to tend to turn into the world that I see. If the world that I see, feel, and experience is loveless, unless I'm addicted to it, I'm obviously going to cancel the goal that sets it up and collapse it and get back to another world. What is the other world that is always there and preserved for us? The truth is you came into this world pure being, the pure awesome active presence of love just hold a newborn child to remind yourself of that and then the world started to lock you into its brainwash started to train you you became enculturated you became hypnotized by the culture 
At any moment where there is pain, locate the goal that drives the pain, cancel the goal, bring forward the presence of love, and watch the past, the generational patterns and impact begin to disappear. Now, if you pretend that it's all somebody else's fault, then you don't have the power to do that. And so the lesson that I'd like to talk to from the talk about from the course is lesson, let's see, page 502 uh, to page 505, and it's called Responsibility for Sight. And in essence, what this lesson is going to bring forward, and we'll just kind of hit the highlights of it, is that we have been generationally trained into feeling, seeing, perceiving, experiencing in a certain way. If we deny that, then we dissociate from the cause of what it is that we're experiencing at this moment. Cause then seeming to be beyond our reach is no longer changeable and we're stuck in a cycle of, why is this happening to me again? Those who never learn to forgive sooner or later get to play out whatever's stored within their carbon-based memory systems. So one of the first steps, aside from understanding the process or the core of forgiveness, is that you have to be willing to see. There's a line in the course that says, anything you refuse to acknowledge, you cannot bring into awareness because you're dissociated from it. So when I say, you made me mad, I have to dissociate from the cause of this mad that I'm experiencing. And now that that is hidden from me, I can't change it. So every time you do that particular behavior, I'm going to tend to get mad and I'll really come to associate. You know, I've been through that 87 different times with 42 different people and they always make me mad because I can't take responsibility for my mad. And if I can't take responsibility for being mad, then I can't access the root that my madness is made out of. And when I can't access the root, I can't change it. I'm going to be stuck in it. So this particular lesson, Responsibility for Sight, we're going to jump into the place where it says, this is the only thing you need do for vision, happiness, release from pain, and complete escape from all error to be given you. So it's going to give us four lines of text, and this is all you need to say and do. Now, of course, unfortunately, there's always a little addendum there, a little kicker. And the kicker is where the work is in order to make this really, really functional. So it says, this is all you need to do. Say only this, and then here's the kicker, but meaning with no reservations. In other words, I can say this with my surface mind, but if the underlying mind has not been open yet to receive it, then I'm not going to believe it, and it's not going to have the impact that's possible. 
But in situation after situation, circumstance after circumstance, when I realize the truth of this statement, then I'll be able to access the root of all trauma and remove it. When I access and remove the root of all trauma, and it doesn't matter what arena the trauma is in, whether it's financial trauma, relationship trauma, business trauma, health, it doesn't matter. Satisfaction in life doesn't matter. When I can access the root of what creates my trauma, then I can remove it. Then I'm empowered to do something about it. So here's what the Course says. You need to say, and of course, mean with no reservation. I am responsible for what I see. I choose the feelings I experience, and I decide upon the goal I would achieve. And everything that seems to happen to me, I ask for and receive as I have asked. Now, the average person says, no, no, wait a minute. You didn't see what Charlie did to me last week. I sure didn't ask for that. Oh, really? You didn't. Didn't I hear you just the day before telling me how, gee, you know, it doesn't matter, seem to, seem to matter what happens. You know, the world just always comes along and beats me up. Didn't I hear you saying that just the day before you met Charlie and he gave you that verbal beating? Did you know that every frequency, every vibration that passes over your mind is a form of asking? And to allow yourself to engage in an energy is to invite yourself as an energy being. It is to invite that energy into your experience. That's what creatorship means, and we're each creators. So we've got to stop kidding ourselves that we haven't asked for this and recognize that in some way, shape, or form, if it's shown up in our lives, we've asked for it. Now, if, if you go, no, that absolutely can't be true, then, you know, you're right. It won't, you won't be able to make use of this particular lesson. If you engage in the forgiveness tool, however, over time, you will see more and more, oh, I can see how I got myself into that one. Oh, man, when I held that, I, didn't, I never even conceived of that would be the result. And I get to see deeper and deeper levels of how draw my pain, my turmoil, my attack. And when you realize, you, know, you go back to the Aramaic and it says, and remember, we're talking physics and physiology here. We're talking genetics. It says the sins of the fathers will be passed, yea, unto three and four generations of those who hate me. What does that mean? Well, remember the word sin in Aramaic is an archery term. It's not some Greek, evil, terrible, awful thing you've done. It's a simple archery term. When you fire at the target and you miss a bullseye, scorekeeper yells in. That's all it means. So what they're saying is your body-mind unit is a device that stores every frequency that comes to it in every cell, including the sperm and the egg. So if somebody in your generations asked for, oh, you know, things are so bad, I, I, I would be better off dead. And then they wonder why they happened to step out and this truck careened off the road and bang, there they were. They asked, and when the asking for anything becomes the predominant resonant energy in your field, 
whoever or whatever is in the territory that can deliver to you that result is going to show up and deliver it to you. So while you may personally never have conceived of this thing, if the frequency is in your structure and there's someone nearby who carries the matching tone. You know, if I had a middle C tuning fork on a desk and I put it near a second middle C tuning fork, that second middle C tuning fork starts to vibrate. Now, if you haven't listened to the show before where I've talked about the blessing, I, I got, well, this goes back about three and a half decades ago. I used to keynote at a conference called Global Science. This gentleman named Marcel Vogel who showed up with a thing called a Delaware camera that could literally take a picture of the high energy waves that leave the mind when we think a thought. Everything that has ever been asked for by anybody in your bloodline, if it has not been removed from you, sits there as a frequency. There is no junk DNA, as the geneticists have been telling us. No junk DNA. It's all an instruction set. And the instruction set means there is an energy moving in you, and every energy that's moving in you is continuously emanating an energy wave. And if there's somebody in town who knows how to play that energy wave out with you, guess who's coming to dinner? Now, if you cut short and you don't see your part in the process and you can't see your part in the process if you deny your part in the process, that's why this particular passage is so powerful, is that when I recognize that I play a part in everything. Now, you've got to be careful because the non-being mind will say, well, does that mean I'm guilty? I, I, I did that terrible thing to myself. No, it doesn't say you're guilty. There's nothing in the word responsibility about guilt. Well, yeah, but what you're really saying is it's my fault. No, there's nothing in the word responsibility about fault. Well, well, but what you mean is I'm the one who's to blame. No, there's nothing in the word responsibility about blame. Responsibility is nothing but a simple tool with which you can recapture the hidden parts of your mind and your genes that hold frequencies that you haven't let yourself be aware of. That's what responsibility does. And when you take responsibility for those things, then those requests, those energetic patterns that you say, I'm really not interested in this happening in my world again, are removed from you by exposure to active present love. So I'm going to just quickly read that passage over again and then go to the next couple of thoughts. I am responsible for what I see. I choose the feelings I experience, and I decide upon the goal I would achieve. And everything that seems to happen to me, I ask for and receive as I have asked. Deceive yourself no longer that you are helpless in the face of what is done to you. Acknowledge that you have been mistaken, and all effects of your mistakes will disappear. Now, if you've come from generations who have relished in their suffering and their pain or their trauma or their horrible experiences and gotten a lot of mileage and a lot of atten- attention, you know, anybody here ever, anybody that's listening ever attend a, uh, uh, an organ recital, you know, where people get together to talk about who had the last organ removed and who's having the next organ removed and mine's the worst the doctor had ever seen. Well, if, if you get mileage and benefit from your pain and suffering then this isn't going to be very appealing to you because it's going to put an end to your pain and suffering. You have to be willing to give that up. 
So it imp- is it impossible, the Course goes on here to say, that it's impossible that you be merely driven by events outside of you. It is impossible that happenings come to you that were not your choice. Your power of decision is the determiner of every situation in which you seem to find yourself by chance or accident. No accident or chance is possible within the universe if the creator created it, outside of which is nothing. Suffer, and you decided sin was your goal. That is, you decided that to be off the mark was where you wanted to go. And there is a mind in you, again, it was called the mind of Christ, that will shift into a whole different energy if you're willing to give up the requests from the past generations. So recognize that you have the power to let loose of any frequency, no matter how genetically reinforced, environmentally reinforced, or how many times it has been experienced. This lesson goes on. I'm going to jump down a little bit. The power of your wanting must first be recognized. Now, recognize that everything in your life at every moment of your life is always the way you want it to be. And the average person says, no, no, Michael, you haven't been reading my mail. This is not what I wanted. I understand that that's not what's been firing in your head, but your wanter isn't in your head. Your wanter is in your heart. Your wanter is the accumulated data from the generations and the thoughts, conscious or unconscious, that you've been thinking. So you must recognize the power of your wanting and accept its strength. You must perceive, here's a powerful line, you must perceive that what is strong enough to make a world can let it go and can accept correction if it's willing to see that it was an error. The world you see. In other words, if I call upon an old generational pattern of abuse, I will produce a world, literally a picture world, where I am abused and draw abuse to me all the time. Does that mean I'm bad, I'm wrong, I'm guilty of that? No, it just means the energy's there. And if I take responsibility, then I can take a hold of that little sucker and I can throw it out. I can get rid of it. I can be done with it. So the Course goes on to say here, it's telling you about the evidential nature of the mind. It says the world you see is but the idle witness that you were right. The witness is insane. You trained in its testimony, and as it gave it back to you, you listened and convinced yourself that what it saw was true. You did this to yourself. See only this, and you will see how circular the reasoning on which you're seeing rests. So recognize that As a creative being, you came in and the body-mind unit that you inherited had the creative potential of all the generations, the good, the bad, and the ugly, the wonderful and the horrible. If you become addicted to, used to, and think you're supposed to be, you know, abused or taken advantage of, then... Unfortunately, that will be your lot in life. Careful, because once you decide that that's going to be your lot in life, then your mind will massage all of its generational data into a world of pictures that has you really believing that the person in front of you is actually the cause of what's going on inside of you. The focus of this lesson is 
I create the feelings I experience and I decide upon the goal I would achieve and what seems to happen to me I ask for. And my evidential mind, the witness, is insane. I can begin to dissolve it through forgiveness. How do I do that? Well, in this particular circumstance where let's say somebody's attacking me, my goal is to be supported and nurtured. Well, well, wait a minute, Michael. Does that mean that you're telling me that's my goal, that's what's driving my perception, so I should cancel my goal to be supported and nurtured? Michael, that's insane. Well, I agree with you. If you don't know how the mind works, to cancel your need to be supported and nurtured seems to be an insane thing to do. But if you're not being supported and nurtured, then the file, so to speak, in your mind that's moving is about not being supported and nurtured and the pain that's held there. And the pain is caused by the frequencies and energies held within you, not by the events in your life. So what happens when you cancel the goal of perfectly wonderful goal to be supported and nurtured is you collapse the end result of all that energy moving in you of perhaps generations of abuse. You get to, as love, drop into those generational patterns and those generational patterns begin to dissolve and you will be freed of the world you see and the results created in your life. That's the power of forgiveness. And that's where we want to head. And I'd love to just check in and see if Dr. Tim is with us today. He is, and he's Tim, on. Tim, are you out there, sir? I am here. I missed, awesome. uh, How first, do you be? I'm doing beautifully, thanks. I missed the first four or five minutes, so... Was there a reason for the duplication of uh, two weeks ago Friday? Did I did I miss the reason we're doing the same lesson? Well, uh, a, a reinforcement of the whole process and some questions that came up last week. Well, I listened to that show twice over the weekend. So oh, that's really? Why I know. So that's why I know that two weeks ago Friday you did the same lesson. Mm. And um it's it's a lovely uh reinforcement. It's um I I just kept thinking <clears throat> that the first axiom in way of mastery is exactly the same thing. That you you are creating everything you experience and you'll never create you'll never experience anything that you're not creating with what you're choosing as your perception and yeah, just more, more verification that essentially it's the same author and the same message and lovely stuff. And of course, the more I get myself to be aware of that in the moment, the more option I have to choose differently and the better my life gets. So again, it's the most practical stuff I know for improving my life. I'll second that one. For sure. Well, let's check with Jeannie and see if she has anything to share with us or if there's anybody in the chat room or uh, if there's anybody with a hand up in the phone queue. Jeannie? Nobody has a hand up. And the chat room, um, we're just kind of going back and forth. They had missed some of the uh, steps, and so I was typing that in there. And I'm also putting it on uh, the archives of our website too. Uh, one of the things that popped 
into uh, my head when uh, you were first talking about the generations and, and uh, being responsible and everything is what, hmm, I'm not sure how to word the question. So like, let's say if uh, there was an issue that my great, great grandmother had faced and never dealt with it, but I have been doing my work and so my vitality is high enough to reach that level, then it would pop up for me to deal with. Would that be why something from the generations would pop up into my face for me to deal with? Because I'd be maybe the first person vital enough or aware enough to handle it? Correct. That would be my take exactly, that when you recognize, I mean, it's, it's pretty monumental when you look at the fact that in a simple 30 generations there are 1.7 billion people in each of our bloodlines and that literally every thought, every feeling, every experience, every energy engaged in is stored holographically in every cell of our structure and that, you know, we talk about the vitality meter and doing, quote, unquote, doing the right things nutritionally, emotionally, physically, exercise, uh, forgiveness, relationship, all of those things. And that as we do those things, one, we soften the barriers. You know, there's a line in the course that talks about the barriers that you built against love. It says you need not seek for love. You need only seek, find, and release all the barriers that you built within yourself against it. And so as you release those barriers, you strengthen, you vitalize, and that's when the generational, the aberrant patterns from the generations can surface because you've got the strength and the vitality and you've developed the skills. This is one of the reasons we're doing the work. You've developed the skills for working through those things. You know, it, it's just like, you know, if I've got a computer and let's say, you know, I've, I've got a hard drive from 20 years ago, and I've just copied the hard drive, copied the hard drive, copied the hard drive, and there were files back there that were encrypted from 20 years ago. The encryption key was lost, and, you know, I've been trying for 20 years. There's some really important stuff in that file. I, I don't remember exactly what it is, but I know it's really important. So I've been replicating, copying the hard drive, hoping one day – Somebody come up with uh, an encryption key that would open those files. And all of a sudden, and it would be like a set of skills developed, all of a sudden, when I'm able to handle and decode what's stuck in my generational patterns, when I've developed the skill and the vitality to allow the toxic release that happens as those things dissolve, and their toxicity becomes free-floating within me and moves through, then that's when they pop open. So 20 years later, somebody comes up with a new encryption key, and all of a sudden I can access those files from 20 years ago. I think that would be a good uh, metaphor for exactly how the process works and why we can access things that, you know, those who didn't have the skills, those who didn't have the commitment, those who didn't have the vitality couldn't do. Does that fit for your question? Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Okay. Any more aspects to it? Any more thoughts? No, that was just what popped up immediately, what I thought of, and, and someone had asked me a similar question. I was hoping, um, I believe Julie was supposed to come back in, and this was going to fit perfect 
for her, um, I had spoken with her. This is Julie from Perump. Um, she just popped in online. Um, and we were talking after the show about the genetics and, and why things pop up. And that, I think that's why that was forefront in my mind. But um, we do have two callers, if you're ready to take a caller. Cool. Let's go for it. Okay. The first one may be Julie. 707, you're on the air. Hi, good morning, Michael and Cheney. Hold on, I'm going to get off this headset. I hope okay. I don't lose you. Okay. You're you're clear and, lo- and okay. loud right where you are. Yeah, I couldn't hear as well as I can putting the phone to my ear. How's that? Is oh, okay. that okay? You're right on. Um, thank you, Jeannie, for bringing that up. And, of course, I've been listening to everything and mulling it all over and kind of seeing where I'm you know, kind of moving in and out and around and up and down and, and everything. And the generational thing, um, I there's even so much more to it that I think we spoke about in, in regards to how it's affected me, what's happened in my life. And I'm hoping I have the motivation and I'm getting that vitality going but that's something I definitely, you know, want to work through. And I think it'll take a lot off of, of myself, you know, once I can and do that. The past couple of weeks have been um, for me, um, not feeling well, constant headaches and stuff. And I, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with the fact that it's more me working through and this stuff is coming out of me than the medical side of it. And um, so that's, you know, something I'm dealing with. And, and, and you had talked to me about the innocence of the assault that I had gone through and asked, you know, and I did a worksheet on it. And just to share with you, I really feel a lot better about that aspect of things, too, that it wasn't me contributing to the event at all. And I think that's something maybe a lot of people feel like they have done when they're put in that position. So suggestions kind of talked about two different things there. Well, and that's, that's part of the game of the world is to blame the victim. You know, well, it was the victim's fault. Mm -hmm. And, and oftentimes especially in the event of sexual assault, you know, that's one of the big defenses in, you know, the legal world as well. We'll, we'll blame the victim. We'll, we'll try to cast a shadow on the victim's reputation to make it look like it was their fault that it happened. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's such a pervasive um, experience today. I mean, it's so rampant. It's unbelievable. Like I would estimate 60 to 70 percent of both males and females in this culture have been sexually abused. Wow. And or at least have sexual abuse within the last generation or two of their bloodlines. Mm-hmm. And so when I recognize the word responsibility, I am responsible. It's not that I'm guilty. I'm not to blame. I'm not a fall. Responsibility is the tool for recouping the energetic patterns from my generations. It's kind of like a skill that needs to be developed, and that's the ability to 
reach into every nook and cranny of my mind, my emotions, and my genes and take out what doesn't belong. If I have to go, I don't have anything to do with this, then I'm going to keep that energy pressed down, and energy pressed down is energy pressed out into the world, and somebody's going to respond to it. So as I can see just the slightest part of me that feels I deserve something or something's going to happen or just the belief, well, you know, the other shoe's going to drop, then finding those hidden parts of my own mind and the mind of my generations and applying forgiveness and, and accessing them directly in the presence of love literally dissolves that influence and that impact on my life. And all of a sudden, the world of pain and trauma around that event will disappear, as will any inclination toward resonating or drawing in the event. How, okay, and I understand that. And you made a comment about, you know, 60-ish percent, you know, have been abused somewhere, man or woman. And, all, and I want to thank you again for p- apologizing on behalf of men. Um, I've been fairly open about my assault with people, and I have found that mm-hmm. um, in talking with somebody that's a, a male, they get uncomfortable. And I am kind of addressing this. How, how is it that one cannot be uncomfortable when it's, you know, um, I can be pretty open person and deal with that, but they can't. How do you get somebody not to feel uncomfortable? What am I doing wrong, or what, how are they perceiving it, you know, as an attack well, or something? So, so notice that you're taking responsibility for what's going on inside of someone else. Right. And you're not. You can't make anybody feel uncomfortable. But if somebody has discomfort about sexual attack, about rape, Mm -hmm. then Mm -hmm. just the conversation is going to bring that up in their minds. If they don't know how to forgive and remove that, they're going to tend to be stuck in that. We actually, this goes back now at Heartland about, oh, let's see, probably eight or nine years ago. And we had, uh, if I remember correctly, three women who had been sexually assaulted and they were processing that and working through that. Mm-hmm. And there was a gentleman there, probably 60 ish who after quite a bit of process finally stepped forward and said, I've done that and I want to clean it up. And these women and this man went into process together. And it was such a powerful healing space. It was just amazing. The tears and the pain that he touched into, the depth of feeling and experience that these women had, was just beyond what you could fathom. And the presence of love that pervaded the space 
made for such a an empowering and a sweet resolution that I, it, it's really beyond words. I really can't describe it except to say what I've said. I can, can only you, do you have any thoughts it. on that? Say again. I said I can only imagine, you know, how powerful it can be. And it probably doesn't have a lot of words that could describe it. Yeah, no, for sure. And so the key is to keep breathing, <clears throat> to keep reaching when layers of that come up. And, you know, if you do choose to share it, someone else would be uncomfortable, you know, who knows, maybe it's their own having been sexually abused that you're resonating and you know the the victim blaming culture here tends to have a lot of people be in a space of well I'd never even reveal that I'd never talk about that yeah and so (laughs) when someone does you know it's kind of like you just open Pandora's box for people and a lot of people are not very comfortable around those who open Pandora's box. Yes, I can understand that. Um, when I say I talk about it openly, it doesn't mean I'm being um, accusatory towards, you know, men. It's just that I'm not afraid to discuss, you know, what happened to me in that sense. And I guess in some ways it's my way of advocating and, and hoping that um, it reaches out and touches both men and women that I have, you know, openly discussed this with. Um, and maybe it's because of my lack of experience and how to advocate it properly or not, I don't know. Um, but it's, it's not meant in malice, you know, when I have discussed it. Right. I hear you. It sounds like uh, you're opening the space and... Uh... Hopefully, as a result of the work you're doing right now, you'll be able to open an even wider space because literally vortexes of energy on the planet right now need to be opened around this issue to allow all of the unconscious trauma that's held to be dissolved. I mean, you look at the fact that, you know, I mean – Rape has been institutionalized. You know, it's a, a rape is a tool of war. You know, in mm-hmm. many cases, historically, if a, a, a group of people went in and, you know, overran another country and, and did war with them, they did their best to kill all the men and they raped the women so that the offspring would be of their race rather than the, the race of people they were attacking. I mean, that's a, an implement, that's a tool of war that is just so, wow. I, I mean, that's just standard, has been standard practice for centuries on the planet. Mm-hmm. When you look at the, the accumulated trauma of just that idea and, you know, I just can't fathom and I'm, I'll breathe as I do this because there's a certain amount of emotion in it for me. I just can't fathom what a woman in a situation where, you know, she's just watched her husband be killed uh, and is raped and conceives a child 
and gives birth to a child out of that situation? Like what what kind of energetic trauma is there on the planet that that's happened tens of tens of tens of thousands of times on the earth? And who can get big enough as the active presence of love to be the healing vortex that draws that energy, that transmutes that energy off of the planet so that we can be rid of the dynamic. Because if we can never bring a painful dynamic to awareness and presence of love, that painful dynamic is just going to keep running and running and running. To me, what we're working to do is, is to create a group of people support a group of people who can become the energetic space to look at all trauma, not have to hide from it, not have to play the pretend game that everything's nice. There's a lot of not nice stuff that's happened on this planet, but to become the space that creates such a field of safety that the deeper levels of this can open right down into the genes and people can be freed of it. To me, that's one of the goals of this work. Mm-hmm. And once again, we're down to the last minute. Yeah. And if there are more thoughts and more conversation to be had, let's carry on with the conversation tomorrow. We won't have the Course of Miracles lesson, so we'll have a little more more uh, space for conversation. In the meantime, I'm going to invite everybody to have the best year yet of your eternal life. Breathe with us. Create a space of healing. Thanks for blessing us. Bye-bye. I Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice, and myself, Jeannie Rice, as we present the Internal Aramaic Process of Forgiveness. We are here every Monday through Friday from 1 to 2 o'clock Eastern Time on Earth Angels Radio. For more on Michael, myself, or Aramaic Forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. That's www.why. A-G-A-I-N dot org. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.